You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. You will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show, for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. America's guest, Jason Hershorn, is on the show today. We are going to be kicking off our week of what-ifs. And we are going to talk about a couple big ones on today's show. We are going to be taking your what-if questions later in the week on Friday Also this week, we're talking to Andy Herman from Packer Report about a piece he wrote a little while ago about the situation with Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers. That is going to be a what-if of sorts because the question posited is essentially what if the Packers move on from Aaron Rodgers sooner than we think. Now, it's not the same sort of what if, but of course, uh, it is in fact a what if. And then we are also going to have our Kamel Martin uh, rookie orientation series this week. Thor Nystrom from Roto World, a uh, a Minnesota man himself, uh, is on the show to talk about Martin and his potential impact on the Packers at the linebacker position. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. It's the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. So go to builtbar.com and use promo code Locked On to get ten dollars off your first order. We talked about making sure we were up to date on everything going on with the league in terms of its plans related to taking precautions with the coronavirus. Last week, NFL EVP of football operations Troy Vincent went on a radio station and said that the NFL is still intending to play football in front of full stadiums. Now, of course, this is full relative to whatever normal is. Uh, no one is expecting the Dolphins to all of a sudden have a full stadium. No one is expecting the Chargers to all of a sudden have a full stadium. But the idea is that as it stands right now, the NFL intends to have large gatherings as NFL games. What we have around the nation right now, and the reason that this is important to bring up again is the NBA is currently in communication with its players about uh, a number of proposals that are on the table, including a potential bubble proposal, the idea of keeping everyone sequestered, in this case playing in Orlando and trying to put together the rest of the season and the playoffs. There are potential pitfalls with all of these questions, and, and they've been discussed really ad nauseum over the last few weeks and few months because everyone wants their sports back. I mean, we saw the match over the weekend. Millions of people tuned in to watch Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson play golf with Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. It turned out it was actually compelling television. 
people want their sports back. And, you know, Governor Andrew Cuomo in New York said that teams would be allowed to engage in training camp as usual, assuming that, you know, they're following protocols, etc. Now, you know, the joke is that, of course, there's only one team that's actually based in New York. That's the Buffalo Bills. The two New York teams are actually based in New Jersey. So it will have to be in the New Jersey government that makes the final decision on what's happening with the Giants and the Jets in terms of their practices. But we are moving in the direction toward having more sports. The PGA Tour is coming back in June. And the NBA is moving toward resuming. And Major League Baseball is also moving toward playing games again. Now, of course, those sports are different than the NFL. They don't involve 22 people on the field at the same time. They don't involve 53-man rosters. And in in the case of the both the NBA and, and Major League Baseball, although college football certainly would run into this problem, they don't involve 70,000-seat arenas. Now, of course, the NBA is dealing with much smaller groups. They could play in front of no fans. You can play on a, you know, in a gym in front of no fans. It's much harder to find a field where you can just go play football. You can find a gym to go play basketball, no problem. And the NBA is, is going to be looking at gyms that are much smaller than the arenas where you know the Bucks play or the Lakers play or, or wherever. You still have to play NFL games on a field that's 100 yards, and most of those fields are at stadiums. Now, whether it's a stadium stadium or a high school field, you know, of course, those things are going to vary place to place. As we've discussed, the Packers already do a bubble of sorts for training camp, and a lot of teams do. You go to St. Norbert's, and you are away from everyone else. You live in the dorms. You live, breathe, and sleep football. That's the deal. The, the value that the NFL has in starting in mid to late July and ultimately not having games until September is they get to watch and see. They also get the, the benefit of these leagues trying and succeeding or trying and failing. Failing is just as useful to the NFL as succeeding in this case because then the NFL gets to say, okay, this is what not to do. And obviously success creates a roadmap. Now the NFL is going to have its own sorts of issues. And we talked about, you know, what Dr. Fauci said to Peter King about, you know, guys getting swabbed. And if you test positive, you know, you, you're out for two weeks. And ha- having that testing capability be there for these players. You know, there are proposals out there for hockey, you know, you know, two swab tests a week to try and stay on top of this. And the availability of testing is going to be a huge part of all of this. There are huge pitfalls to all of this. You know, if Patrick Mahomes or or Aaron Rodgers or Saquon Barkley or J.J. Watt test positive, we really haven't had an athlete of that magnitude test positive yet. You know, Von Miller is a great player. He's not a superstar in that way. We didn't really have it in the NBA. LeBron James didn't get the coronavirus. And Tom Hanks did. So he's a big star. But I mean in sports and have it affect the outcome. I mean, imagine if LeBron gets coronavirus in the NBA playoffs. Imagine if Patrick Mahomes in week four gets the virus. This has unforeseen effects 
and unprecedented impact on the league. We've never seen anything like this in our country and certainly not in sports. And so that creates uncharted territory. Now, the NFL, as I've said, has the benefit of getting to watch. They get to see what everyone else is doing. There will be some things that work. There will be some things that don't work. And who knows, in September, we may have a vaccine by September. Um, You know, that's not totally outside the realm of possibility. We may have treatments, viable treatments in September that mitigate the severity of this. But there is still always the chance that something could happen. And yet, the reports are billions of dollars separate in-person games from no fan games. Billions of dollars. If that's the case, does the league push? And if a vaccine is close in early September, if they can push to October 1st, October 15th, October 31st, and get a vaccine so that people can get vaccinated, go to these games, and feel safe, that is something that they will take a look at. It's something that we don't know yet. These are facts we don't yet have in evidence. But it is something that that we have to consider. The fact that the NFL has more time here puts them at a real advantage. Everyone else gets to be the test case. You know, it's not even a trial balloon because they, they have to actually go out and have trials and see what works and what doesn't. So the NFL has the benefit of all of that. And if you want the benefit of healthy food with none of the gross taste and texture then Built Bar has it for you. I've been eating the double chocolate ganache. I was blown away. The first bite I took, I was like, what is this? I, I couldn't, I genuinely couldn't believe it. And it is easily the most delicious protein bar I've ever had. Honestly, it tasted like a three musketeer, but like double chocolate. It was it was incredible, and, and I'm not just saying that because they're paying me. It was legitimately delicious, and they've got 16 amazing flavors. They're all covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft. They're easy to chew, and while they taste great, we're talking about low-cal, low-sugar, more importantly. Three grams, four grams of sugar, but 20 grams of protein. Right now, if you go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKDOWN, you'll get $10 off your first order. That's promo code locked on for $10 off your first order at builtbar.com. And if you're looking to make an impact on more than just your health, there's no better place to do it than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventures around the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen and so much more. The Army is a team of a million individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? And text ALPL to 462-769 to find out. That's ALPL to 462-769 to find out. All right, let's get to Jason Hershorn. You can follow him on Twitter at by underscore JBH. He is America's guest. He writes about the NFL all over the internet, prominent, most prominently at SI.com, but you can also find his work at NFL.com and... He, like me, is a freelancer, so you never know where his stuff is going to pop up. That's why you should follow him on Twitter. Jason, thanks for coming back on Locked on Packers. Yeah, do I still get the title of America's Guest, even if it's been several months since my last appearance? Of course, especially since you are coming on during uh, an American emergency, although it's not unique to America. But, you know, this is this is a, a time when we need our, our comfort levels to be high. 
and uh, and that means you. So it, it's it's good to be with you, and and just for my own sanity, it's good to be with you and, and talking to another human being. I have to say, that's a lot of disrespect for your son, Peter. <laughs> He's not very talkative right now. At uh, just over two and a half, half weeks, I love him very much, but uh, talkative is not one of his his many traits. You're daring him to make um, an appearance on this podcast. <laughs> oh, there is a 100% chance that he makes an appearance unintentionally on this podcast at some point, if not today, tomorrow, or the next day for sure. Uh, it's What Ifs Week on Locked on Packers, and we are going to discuss a couple of them. Um, there, there are what ifs, at least in the case of one of them, that we, you and I have have had discussions offline many times about, and, and I'm excited to get to that conversation. I'm also excited to start with this because you and I, uh, unfortunately, a while back had to mothball a podcast, uh, the 2D NFL podcast, and uh, we are going to talk about the patron saint of that podcast And we're going to do it this way. Uh, The what if that we are going to start with is what if the Packers can Dom Capers before they eventually do so? So when I when I just say that, what is your instinct? Well, there was obviously a lot of or was a lot of discussion about the Packers letting go of Dom Capers before. 2018 when they actually did. Uh, There are multiple exit ramps if you want to look at it in those terms. They chose the final of those, but it would not have been crazy for them to have fired Capers several times before that. I don't think it would have been unfair both in the moment and in retrospect. So the earliest that they probably could have justified it would have been 2012. They win the Super Bowl in 2010. 2011, they have a historically bad defense. And then 2012 is the infamous Colin Kaepernick game. Uh, their defense gets embarrassed. That's even with some some pretty major talent uh, infusions. Remember, they drafted Nick Perry, who was a promising young player at that time. Clay Matthews was still uh, sort of at the peak of his powers. Charles Woodson was still uh, an NFL player, and he was still an NFL player in Green Bay. But this defense suddenly looked very slow. It suddenly looked undisciplined and outdated. 2012 could have been one of those off-ramps, right? Yeah, and we do have to establish the full context here. That season, obviously the, the Packers went 15-1, and but they lost one of their most important players in the second week of the season. Nick Collins, mm. free safety, suffers what ended up being a career-ending neck injury against the Carolina Panthers. And it's impossible to view that defense and the way they perform without noting they basically didn't have one of their most important players the entire year and really had no way of replacing him in season. Like Nick Collins is the kind of player that's hard to replace in any context, but at least during an offseason, you have opportunities to look at other players, whether that's in free agency or the draft. They ended up having this issue basically the first month of the year. And they never fully recovered. And you can argue they never fully recovered for the duration of Capers' tenure in Green Bay. But it, at that time, a lot of their issues were viewed as being related to suddenly losing that deep safety right at the beginning of the year. Because Dom Capers, especially in those first few seasons with the Packers, ran a lot of single high safety. And that approach really only works when you have someone who can cover a lot of range. And Nick Collins was that guy. So let's say after the Colin Kaepernick debacle, we have 2011, and that was you know a problem in its own right. But I, I think a lot of Packer fans gave the entire team a little bit of a pass that year because it was such a good season. Maybe you don't fire someone a year removed from a Super Bowl. But after 2012, you can start making the case. And 
there is at least one name that stands out to you and I that they could have made in the offseason, the 2013 offseason, uh, a guy who had a resurgence last year, was was a great defensive coordinator in Arizona, got a head coaching job that did not go great for him or the team, but is is one of the best defensive minds in football. That's the patron saint of the Two Deep NFL podcast, Todd Bowles. Yeah, and, and Bowles, let's keep in mind, even though that run with the Jets did not go super well, there were a lot of complicating factors there. I don't think it's fair to pin all of their struggles on him, even though he was sure. a head coach. And I also don't think it's a pure hypothetical to look at him as an option for Green Bay had they fired Dom Capers after the 2012 season. If, if you go through Bowles' history, he actually started out his post-playing career as a member of the Packers player personnel staff. So there were connections between people who were and still are in Green Bay and Todd Bowles at that time. Now, McCarthy himself had never worked with Bowles. However, he didn't work with Don Capers prior to hiring him. He hadn't worked with Mike Pettin before hiring him. So it's not out of the question that Mike McCarthy would have been comfortable bringing someone in like Todd Bowles. And as you described, Bowles, in not just his most recent stop, in most of his stops, has an immediate effect on the on the performance of that defense. With Tampa Bay, that defense performed so poorly during the 2018 season that they fired the defensive coordinator, I think it was two weeks after a particularly bad showing against the Bears and Mitch Trubisky, which, as I'm sure your listeners know, is a pretty bad thing both in and outside of context. <laughs> So to, to go from a defense, and honestly, they didn't really have that many different players in 2019 than they had in 2018. I mean, the biggest change was probably Shaq Barrett. But I think a lot of Barrett's individual success, you can pin on the way that Todd Bowles used him. And I think that's why Bowles would have made a lot of sense for Green Bay going into 2013, because he is so good at figuring out ways to create pressure on the quarterback to a degree that I don't think anyone else in the NFL currently does, including coaches who have worked underneath Bowles himself. He is a coach more so than any other defensive coordinator. And I think this is the primary reason why you and I like him so much. He doesn't care if it's you know a third and long, fourth and long. If he views the best way of stopping the offense is to just go cover zero, all out blitz, he's willing to do that. And that is something that the vast, vast majority of defensive coaches will not do. And I, I can't underscore this enough. It is what makes him such a unique coach in that or in the NFL landscape. So for the Packers, with a team that had Clay Matthews at his peak, had several other good defensive players in the front seven, and was only a few years away from acquiring Julius Peppers, having Bulls there to just command that defense could have been the difference between obviously they made multiple NFC title games after winning the Super Bowl, but it doesn't seem crazy to think that they could have gone to another Super Bowl just based on that change alone. Yeah, by the way, Todd Bowles was on that 96 staff that won a Super Bowl in Green Bay. So theoretically, Todd Bowles has a has a Packers Super Bowl ring somewhere in his trophy case. It's also the case that when he went to Arizona to be the defensive coordinator in those 2013 and 2014 seasons, he was so good in Arizona. I think he led the league both years in unblocked pressure, meaning he schemed free rushers at the quarterback. They did not have great individual pass rushers. They had Calais Campbell, who was playing more of a five-tech block eater type and they were consistently one of the best defenses in the league to the point that it got him a head coaching job it's not hard to spin this forward as a what if and say well if he's the coach instead of Dom Capers that 2013 ends differently a season 
that ends in the playoffs on the final play against the 49ers. 2014 ends differently. Uh, a 2014 season that obviously ends on the final play in Seattle. 2015, I mean, we can go on down the line. The, the butterfly effect here is pretty considerable. Yeah, and look, there's also a scenario where Bowles goes to Green Bay and then a year later has a head coaching kick because of his performance. Again, sure. he, he was viewed <laughs> not just by the Jets, but by a lot of teams at the time as being an up-and-coming coach. He had had a brief tenure as head coach, as an interim head coach with the Dolphins. So, so it's, it wasn't that he had no experience outside of just being a defensive play caller. He had done a lot of different things that endeared him to NFL decision makers. And frankly, if he doesn't land with a team like the Jets, just because of all the turmoil that they had and, and may continue to have, he's probably still a head coach now. He's not just a good defensive mind, even though he hasn't thus far had the head coaching success. I, I think Bowles, if he's given another chance to be a head coach, I think it's going to go a lot differently just because of how comprehensive of a coach that he is. It's also the case that if the Packers had moved on from Dom Capers, maybe they don't sign Todd Bowles. Maybe they sign someone else who isn't nearly as good. The guy that that had been on my radar at the time, the, the Browns signed in 2013, Ray Horton. He was someone that I really liked because of what he had done in Arizona, coincidentally, before that, and, and was a former uh, secondary coach with the Steelers for a long time. He, he was not good. Uh, and not good in his his next stop in Tennessee, uh, not good in Cleveland in 2016, and then he did not even work in the league in 17 and 18, was the defensive backs coach in Washington last season. So change for change's sake is not always the best thing either, and I think that's something that we have to remember. The other what if that I want to get your insight on is one that I think a lot of Packer fans have thought about over the years, and it is even more relevant now. Um, and and may even feel in some ways to those of you that were not flies on the wall to the conversations that Jason and I had a, a long time ago, may feel a little bit like Monday morning quarterbacking. But when we think back to 2016 and the status of that team and, and where that team was in midseason in 2016, what if the Packers never run the table? Yeah, th- this was for you and I for a long time, like the topic du jour about Packers what ifs, and for good reason. If we go back to right before that winning streak that that saved that Packers season, it seemed a fait accompli that Mike McCarthy was in the final year with the Green Bay Packers as the head coach, and not unfairly. I mean, that offense the year before had struggled. Now that was without Jordy Nelson, that was with an injured Randall Cobb and an injured Devontae Adams. So there were a lot of caveats to that performance. But I think everyone was expecting to see that improvement with Nelson back, with Cobb and Adams healthy, with more weapons around Rodgers. And it just didn't happen for the most part for the first two and a half months of that season. Then we finally saw, I think really in that Washington game, which they lost, I think you saw for the first time that season a more comprehensive performance from that Packers offense. And that's really when you started to see that team and the season turn around. But absent that turnaround, I thought at the time, I wrote about it at the time, that if they were going to fire McCarthy, and it would not have been crazy if they had done so, as we've already described, that Kyle Shanahan was probably the number one choice for the Packers at the end of that season. And for a variety of reasons. We know that the Packers have an appreciation for coaches that have come out of that West Coast offense tree. Obviously, Kyle Shanahan comes off of one of the more prominent branches of that tree, that being the Mike Shanahan branch. 
And he was a young coach, but not an inexperienced one. He had coached in, in a, at a high level as, an, as a coordinator or you know play calling coordinator since his time with the Houston Texans under Gary Kubiak, another coach that we know that the Packers respect. And all of these things made him, combined with the great season that the Atlanta Falcons and uh, Matt Ryan in particular had in 2016, as the prime candidate for a lot of teams, not just Green Bay. And the and I remember you and I actually had discussed this on the record before. I believe when we did the Matt Lafleur podcast for Locked On Packers, we discussed what that hiring might have meant, and I think it was in some ways yep. a sort of a do over with Shanahan. Now, now Matt Lafleur is in many ways a different coach than Kyle Shanahan, but the offense he runs obviously shares a lot of similarities, and may this year, as I know you've discussed, have even more similarities with the Forty ers are doing under Kyle Shanahan now. Well, if they had fired McCarthy after 2016, Kyle Shanahan's available and really at the peak of his market. I just think that makes a ton of sense. You'd have a a coach that knows how to work with a veteran quarterback. Obviously, he did that with Matt Ryan in Atlanta. A coach that even just at that time, we'd seen run a bunch of different styles of offense that work with his system because the way you're going to run an offense with Robert Griffin III is different than the way you're going to do it with Johnny Manziel, and it's different than the way you're going to do with Matt Ryan. He'd already done all of those things. So Aaron Rodgers, especially back then, still in his physical prime, is, you know, there's a lot of things they can do that Matt Ryan can do, but there's a lot of things that he does that Matt Ryan doesn't. You knew he was the kind of coach that could cater his scheme to that quarterback. So the fit was never really a question, at least not for me. And Kyle Shanahan had just done enough at that point to warrant a head coaching gig, especially one with a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, if it was available. So I would have been very surprised if the Packers had hired or fired McCarthy in 20 or after 2016 and not hired Kyle Shanahan just because of how much of a of just a fit it made sense on paper. Well, and and it would would have also theoretically been the most appealing job on the market. I mean, certainly above the 49ers at the time, which which had been a pretty big mess, quarterback questions. Um Aaron Rodgers it was still very much, you know, peak of his powers, Aaron Rodgers or at least we thought at the time, it's, you know, maybe he if received he received MVP votes. So even if it wasn't like the right. absolute, you know, apex Aaron Rodgers, he was not that far off from that performance after the or during and after the 2016 season. I mean, you go into 2017, still under the McCarthy, until he suffers that injury, he was still playing at an MVP level. And I, I think just literally based on the like the Vegas odds, was the odds on favor to win the MVP at the time he went down. So the Packers still had an incredibly valuable asset in Aaron Rodgers as it pertains to looking for head coaches. I would have been shocked, again, had Shanahan been available, had the Packers been looking for a head coach, if that's not the place that he lands. And, and again, this was something we did talk about at the time. This is this is not just, oh, hey, Kyle Shanahan turns out as a really good coach. No, you and I, and, and we did, we discussed Josh McDaniels, too. That was another name, and, and that was a name that when the Packers were looking for coaches, you and I were, were bullish on. It's also worth pointing out that a, a decision may have been made sooner on Ted Thompson. And how do those trickle-down effects look as well? Because if if they do promote from within and they elevate Brian Gutekunst once again, uh, how does that change how the Packers approach those off-seasons? Do they get more aggressive? Do they do the Brian Gutekunst, you know, big spend one of those years and load up with weapons? Do they are they able to maximize 2017 in a in a, in a way that they would not otherwise have been? I think those are are also things that we would have to ask here. If if they go to Brian Gutekunst, you know, two seasons before they do, 
how does that change the the shape of their roster? Yeah, and obviously the, the biggest change here is how they manage the cap. I mean, that was the main reason, by all accounts anyway, that Ted Thompson was so conservative with free agency, at least with unrestricted free agency. Obviously, Gutekunst, even if you're just going off of two off seasons ago, far more willing to dive into that market. And it seems fairly likely that he would have at least tested those waters in a serious way had he become the Packers general manager at some point during 2017. And I think it's actually fairly likely had McCarthy been fired or or had, frankly, Mark Murphy, the, the team president, decided that needed to happen, they would have also gone through the steps of reassigning Thompson because one of the things that has been reported, not I don't think outright said, about the Thompson decision was that the the administration knew that as long as Thompson was there, McCarthy was going to be the head coach. And under those under the under those assumptions, you would have had to do something with Thompson in order to do something with the coach. Now maybe the organizational realignment goes a little differently. I think that's at least a fair thing to discuss because I think a big part of that decision by Mark Murphy, right or wrong, was that Matt LaFleur was not just a young coach. So obviously Kyle Shannon would have been comparably young when the Packers theoretically would have hired him in 2017, but also he was, relative to Shannon at the time, so much less experienced. And I wonder if maybe they would have stuck with the GM to head coach, more linear hierarchy than the one they have now. But either way, I think he would have seen changes on that front like you discussed. Yeah, these are these are uh, both fascinating questions, and and I know that we are not the only ones who follow this team that that have asked them in the past. Is there is there anything else, you know, just sort of top of mind that that stands out to you as a major Packers what if over the last you know twenty plus years? Well, I mean, if if we're going back twenty years, I guess the biggest one is what if Ray Lewis is available to the Packers in the nineteen ninety six NFL draft? I think it was ninety six. That was the draft where Ron Wolf has said on the record he was expecting Lewis to be there as the draft was unfolding. When Lewis went to the Ravens, he didn't really feel like he had a backup plan. They ended up drafting an offensive tackle that never really had much of an NFL career. Now, the Packers still won the Super Bowl, made it to another Super Bowl, so it didn't materially impact in the sense of like it cut down their ability to win a title, obviously. But with Ray Lewis playing on that defense, you could talk about a much different outcome for frankly, just the Holmgren administration. Like Holmgren left primarily because he wanted to be a GM. But maybe if that team looks like it can be, you know, a late '90s dynasty, which Lewis was good enough of a player to potentially make it, given everything else that they had, maybe he stays in Green Bay at least a little longer. In which case, you're not talking about you know two Super Bowls, one more playoff run, and then Holmgren goes to Seattle. Maybe he runs all the way into the 2000s. That could have been different. The other one, and I've heard it discussed sort of along the same lines as we just discussed with Kyle Shanahan and the Packers in the 2017 offseason, I've heard people wonder, well, what if the Packers had hired Sean McVay, who you know was hired by the Rams that very same offseason, obviously has gone on to have a lot of success. It's certainly not impossible that Sean McVay could have been the coach of the Packers, but I think that's actually far less likely than maybe the general public does. Yeah. He did have a very good reputation around the league at the time. So it wasn't like he was off the radar, but he didn't have the same sort of connective tissue to the Packers that Kyle Shanahan did. He certainly didn't have the experience, not that he was inexperienced, but he was barely in his 30s at the time. I think that ultimately would have scared them off considering that Aaron Rodgers is just an older person than Sean McVay. Not that he'd be <laughs> willing to take coaching from someone who's younger than him, but I think that's just another hurdle they would have had to overcome when you're replacing a coach like McCarthy, who I know at the end of his tenure, 
a lot of media, a lot of people in the NFL, and a lot of Packers fans specifically really felt that it was time to go, that he was holding the team back. And at the end, I think that's a fair assessment. But to replace a coach like McCarthy with everything that he had done for that team and the success that they had underneath him, I think it would have been really hard to replace him with someone who was barely in their 30s. Now, that's not necessarily fair, but I think that's just the way it realistically would have unfolded had the Packers gone that direction after the 2016 season. If I had had a podcast at the time and the Packers had done that, I would have flipped out. I can tell you that. It would have been unthinkable to me. The other one that that has stood out to me for a long time along these same lines is what if the Packers had been able to get Sean Payton instead of Mike McCarthy? And, and how uh, so many careers, not just Aaron Rodgers, but potentially Drew Brees and, and a lot of other uh, players would have been different as well. Jason, uh, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, where can uh, my listeners, if they are new to the show, uh, find your work? Well, you can find most of it when I tweet it out on Twitter. And my handle is by underscore JPH. I write for SI.com. Uh, I write freelance a number of other places. So if you, frankly, if you just look at my Twitter feed, you'll find the stuff. Sounds good, Jason. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, anytime. All right, I want to thank Jason again for joining the show. Always great to talk to him. Uh, We are going to have much more the rest of the week. Remember that conversation with Andy Herman. We also have our Kamel Martin rookie orientation series. Plus, we're taking your questions on what ifs. I've got a bunch of really good ones that have been sent in. Would love to have yours. If you're thinking of something that we haven't mentioned, of course, we we mentioned a couple today. If you want me to dive into some of those further, especially that Mike McCarthy, Sean Payton one, that is one that certainly we can take some more time on. So send me a note on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski or with the podcast at Locked on Packers. Send me a note on Facebook. Remember to subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. And the easiest way, the simplest way, the most convenient for me way to send a note to the Locked on Packers fan hotline is to do a 920-341-3775. Send me a text, leave me a voicemail, whatever you want to do to let me know that you're staying Locked on Packers.